HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. My name is Brandon Boyd, co-owner of Roberta's, a super-duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. Hello, Mr. and Mrs. America, from border to border, coast to coast, and all the ships at sea. Streaming live from the County of Kings, Brooklyn, New York City, on the Heritage Radio Network. Are you ready for the fastest half hour on the internet today? It's the Mike and Judy Show. Spanning the globe for high-minded hijinks and low-brow kicks to bring you the best in sex, drugs, rock and roll, and nuclear fission. They're too bad for radio and too good-looking for television. And now, here they are. America's last best hope to make the internet safe for absolutely no one. Two people who will do pretty much anything for a pizza. Your hosts, Mike Edison and Judy McGuire. Hello. Hi, Judy. It's this week's Mike and Judy show. It's our special band books show, um, which is kind of appropriate we have we have some great guests today we have stephanie anderson from word a bookstore in greenpoint one of my very favorites yes it's a great bookstore and we have melissa petro a writer who got in a little who was a teacher who got in a little trouble because she wrote about her sex worker past and now she's just a writer and (laughs) (laughs) which is pretty much yeah more than just a writer. More than more than more than just a writer. Well, this is great. It is Band Books Week, and I have a band book. And you have a band book. This is a good story. I I got a deal to write this book. It was the official sex, drugs, and rock and roll book of lists, and it was accepted. It was due to come out next Saturday. It was going to be my big pub date, and then <laughs> the the publisher's parent company, who are apparently Christians or Mormons or some, I don't know. They seem they were surprised to read the read the book and discover <laughs> that there were sex and drugs in it. And so they pulled it off the printer. Like they must have gone to China or wherever they print the book and grabbed grabbed it out of there and said, we never want to hear about this book again. But, um, but there's a happy ending to the story. Well, I don't have a contract yet, so I don't want to... 
jinx it. Okay, but then my understanding is there's a new contract in the works, and this is basically like when the Sex Pistols got tossed off their label, they went across the street and sold their record again (laughs) and got to uh, cash in twice for the same record. I'm hoping to go for three times. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, it is Band Books Week, and um, this week is is my uh, fourth annual Band Books Party. Tell me more about it. Oh, I'd be delighted to, Judy. It's uh, at the Housing Works um, Cafe Book Bookstore Cafe in Soho this this Wednesday, September 28th at 7 p.m. sharp. That's book time, not rock and roll time. And uh, Melissa's going to be one of our speakers, along with uh, Richard Nash. And we have several guest stars who are going to be reading from their favorite band books. Uh, Maybe a little Catch-22, maybe a little Huckleberry Finn, and hopefully some Harry Potter which most people are always shocked to find out, is one of, not really a banned book. We don't really ban books in America anymore. The truth is, you can pretty much read whatever you want. Um, but you places sh- ban them. Well, it gets, it, books get challenged on the school library level, mostly. And this is where we run into a lot of trouble. I mean, the truth is, you can push a button on your computer to watch you know, the filthiest, most tawdry shit right. of all time. The most lord pornography ever created and foisted upon humankind is available at the push of a button, but there are still schools who are trying to keep Slaughterhouse-Five out of the hands of impressionable children. And um, Stephanie, your mom is a young adult writer, right? Mm-hmm. Can yeah. you tell us a little bit about the problem she's had? Sure, she's had a lot of problems. What's uh, her name? Her name's Lori Holt Anderson. Her first book is, uh, well, her first YA novel, Speak, uh, has been challenged and banned a lot uh, across the country. Not to ruin the surprise for you, but it's about a ninth grader who the summer before she starts high school is raped. Um, and spends the rest of it's about her her freshman year of high school and it's generally read in eighth and ninth and tenth grade classes um, a lot of school it, it's it's it, you really get a sense for how different things are across the country in terms of what's appropriate because there are a lot of schools that have their entire school read it and have her come and discuss it with them it seems like an important book. it's a it, I mean it is it's incredible she's it was uh, published ten years ago and the amount of mail she still gets as a result of that book would make you weep. Uh, yeah. It's really uh, very sad how what the response to the book has been, really. Mm-hmm. But uh, there are schools where they won't even allow it in the library. And in fact, there was a problem last summer that's still going on where Speak, a book called 20 Boy Summer and Slaughterhouse Five, were all challenged by someone whose children didn't even go to this high school. Uh, they were on the recommended summer reading list. They weren't even required. And he wrote this just insane editorial, and it be took on this national campaign. But this is just one example of Speak has been... There's been... uh, I remember about five years ago, my mom was asked to speak at a middle school for a completely different set of books. She writes for younger kids, too, only to speak about these books. And about two days before she was scheduled to leave... Uh, she got a call and they were like, oh, one of our school board members, her daughter read Speak and we can't have you come to the school anymore. And she was like, excuse me, I'm not coming to talk about Speak. I'm coming to talk to 12-year-olds about historical fiction. They were like, no, we it's we can't do it. You're just going to work that rape agenda in there. Yeah, exactly. Like, we know you're going to talk about rape with our impressionable 12-year-olds while you're discussing Valley Forge. Yeah. Well, this, uh, yeah. this, this definitely um, brings up uh, Melissa's particular situation. And yeah. this is what you do in your private life and how it impacts your public life. And you had blogged about uh, your sexual past as, you know, we all know that, you know, Facebook is just a ghost that's going to haunt you forever. The digital slime trail of Twitter, if you're not careful, is going to catch up to you and bite you in the ass when your future or current employer takes a look. And that's sort of, sort of what happened. Well, with the female, it, so. it was sort of, but not really, because I, it wasn't that I was outed or that somehow this material had had come come. To the surface. Why, why don't you give us the whole story? Give uh, it. It, well, I, I went to the new school uh, for creative nonfiction. I've been working as a, a researcher on women's participation in the sex industry uh, since 
Uh, I was an undergraduate. I did that work in uh, across Europe and the United States. I published interviews and uh, other research about women's experiences in this industry. And I also had my own experiences. And at the new school, I was uh, encouraged to speak first person and to explore my experiences in the form of memoir, which I began doing in 2005. That work's been published and available. My uh, dissertation from the new school was called Selling Sex. It was uh, totally available when I graduated from the new school and needed a job. And uh, one great job for a writer is to work as a public school teacher. Summer's off, convenient hours in some ways, and uh, you have an opportunity to do serious public service work. Not to mention corrupt the minds of America. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Work with impressionable youth. Teach them how to strip, whatnot. Sure. <laughs> exactly. Well, I taught art and creative writing. Oh, yeah. Oh, so, the devil's work. So I was, I, we all remember our art teachers. You know, they, there's a little bit of freedom there to, uh, you know, to, to, to work my, outside the curriculum. My experience is they're all a bunch of left-wing dope smokers. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Well, and, and, and as such, were the best teachers that I ever I had. I thought we outlawed art studies in New York public schools. Well, you know, it, it, it seems that's becoming more so. Uh, unfortunately, there's one less art teacher because uh, I continued to write even after I had been given a job as a public school teacher and subsequently... And that honestly, that's what problem. breaks my heart about your, about your story, because my experience with art teachers were they were the best teachers. They're open-minded. Yeah. They taught you to think freely. They taught you to be creative. I was lucky. I had a great art teacher. Me too. Um, it, you know, encouraged you know, performance and photography and just think anything that I thought of, whether it was crayons or smashing things or playing in my punk rock band, he was very, very encouraging. They were there to build your spirit, not break it like the math teacher well, was basically there. high school is jail for children. I mean, I fucking mm. hate high school. And in fact, if you don't want to burn down your high school, you're probably not my kind of people. Well, to, to be to, <laughs> to clarify, I taught K through five, and needless to say, my what I wrote about publicly had nothing to do with what I taught in the classroom. And they I didn't wouldn't teach even be reading ed. it. Absolutely not. They couldn't comprehend it. And that being said, that's why this is heartbreaking, because to lose a good teacher in a system that is so desperate for good quality teachers, and I know you, Melissa, and you know, I, would, I would love to have you, like, you know, if I were to have kids, you know, teaching them sure. and encouraging them. I mean, you know, it, it's really, really tragic that something that you did unconnected, in the past, and why is it always about the fucking children? I mean, I always know, I always hear this with drug laws, with these anti-pornography people, oh, the children, the children, the children. This stuff isn't intended for children. Children should never see this shit in the first place, and if they do, it's the parents' fault for letting them get to it. Well, it was truly baffling for me that this happened, because I'd been a writer prior to being a teacher, and, and I was proud of my work. I mean, when I was published on the Huffington Post, it was my first national um, your spot like that. And I, I was honestly proud. So when I was removed from my job um, for for that and for nothing else, uh, I was honestly confused. Well, how I, did it, oh, well I know you're still in litigation, but how, what did they say? You are, you're fired because you used to have another job that we don't approve <laughs> of? Well, the scary thing is when you're a public school teacher and you're removed, they don't say anything. They didn't say anything. They just said to report instead of, to the school, to a, a different location. To the rubber room? To, to what some people refer to as the rubber room where I was placed. And, and eventually I was received specifications to my charges, and they all were in reference to my work. They were not in reference to any behaviors within the classroom. It literally quoted my writing. Is there a morality clause in your contract? Is uh, The charge is um, conduct unbecoming a professional. And that's as much as I understand it. And the fact that you did this before you even took this job on is even more baffling to me. I think this is a very important First Amendment issue. I, I really do. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, soldiers can be teachers, and they could have 
killed people in the course of their okay, job. Okay, here you go again, is... blaming America, <laughs> Okay, but okay. It, but it truly it goes back to what your your issue with your publication is that you know they don't you didn't break a law by pu- wanting to publish that, and they wouldn't have broken a law had they published broken a law had they published it. But it's about the um, the the mores of the community and what values we believe in, and whether or not writing creates a distraction. And in this case, they said my writing had created such a distraction that. Well, was greater than its political import, and for that reason, it was con- not protected constitutionally. Meanwhile, how many of these teachers are banging thirteen-year-olds every week? There's a story in the paper. Just don't about, write about it. Yeah. <laughs> some some like well, weirdo shop teacher having a baby with a thirteen-year-old. Like, okay, well, maybe usually it's women's teachers sleeping with young boys, right? Isn't that the uh, the paradigm? Those are the more exciting cases. Those are the ones it's that get the press. Men. Yeah. Um, but speaking of the press, I mean, creating a distraction. It was the New York Post that created a distraction. I mean, well, I, they, they they painted a big target on you, basically. I mean, I read that every day in the Post. They hate which women. Follow. Um, we're going to get to the Post today and the big sex story by another uh, former sex worker, now employed by the New York Post, our friend Sheila McClear. So. This always makes me insane with the New York Post, right? Is this the fucking hypocrisy of the whole thing? On page one, they're talking about Bill Clinton's penis on page, and selling you know, newspapers with it. On page six, they're talking about there's too much sex in society. Meanwhile, on the back of the paper, they have uh, that hooker, Ashley, uh, the you know, woman who had right, slept right. with Elliot Spitzer. And I always say, you know, I, you know, God bless her. I don't think she took down the governor. The governor took down the governor. I'm not making any moral aspersions on her, except for her writing, which sucks. But then but they have your is. favorite sexy Andrew, Andrea Peiser. We're gonna, we're gonna, uh, the woman who is always wrong. We're going to get to her. Too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, we have a hooker in the back of your paper selling, telling you how to buy a dildo when it's appropriate to get into a threesome with your roommate, et cetera, et cetera. This is supposed to be a family paper. You can't have it both ways. Right? Where you, where you scream about the morality of the school teachers and at the same time, you, how am I going to explain to my young friends who read this paper, gee, gee Mike, you know, what, is the, what does this mean? You know, what is this, this? Everyone's asking, always asking you the big questions, Mike. Are, hey, you know, I'm a prude. Mike, explain this to me. I know I have a reputation <laughs> as a pornographer. Yesterday I was driving down Houston Street at one of these, uh, a bus station, one of the end caps, you know, where they put the uh, ads for this year's sitcoms, or whatever. I think it's the show Whitney. And where the hell right. did she come from anyway? She just seemed to like appear on the horizon out of nowhere. She's a comedian. Um, so they say. Um, there's, in the ad it said, everyone likes morning sex. And I'm appalled, because how do you explain that to your eight-year-old kid if you're just driving down Houston Street? So you like Al Goldstein, who I used to work with. I believe in the concept of the unwilling public. I, I think sex is great. I don't think anything should be banned. In a free society, we read freely. But you don't have to force it or foist it upon a public that doesn't want it. If you work, walk by an adult bookstore, the fact that it says adult bookstore on the front should be enough to know that there's a dildo inside. You don't need to put the dildo in the window, so people who don't want to see it have to see it. It's unnecessary confrontation. I am in favor of dildos and windows, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I am pro dildo in the window. And I think this is actually where you run into problems with teenagers in books, because mm-hmm. that's the argument that adults are making, is that my 14-year-old should not have this book as a recommended book, because you're, you're making it, you're making material available to them, making them aware of material they wouldn't be aware of in any other way. And it is a tricky area, especially when you're talking about recommended reading and you have to do a certain amount of recommended reading in order to go to, you know, to get into your English class the next year. But it is, um, you know, and the sad thing is a lot of the times when speak is banned, for example, just to go back to that, it's because the reason a teacher put it in the classroom is because a number of times they have a girl usually coming up to them, you know, this happens to teachers. Teachers, the only person, uh, you know, a student feels comfortable saying right. something to, and they're like, oh, maybe I should incorporate this book into my curriculum and make my children's uh-huh. lives easier. So this is happening. That's why it's being, but to another part of the community that's 
luckily and blissfully unaware of the fact that these things happen. It feels <laughs> as though their 14-year-old is having... And that foist is actually the word that gets used for, I guess, because it sounds good. People use it a lot in, in censorship and challenging things in schools. But they'll say, like, no, by, by, by making this available in the library, by even having it in a place where a teenager can take it out with any adult supervision. Well, there's, a big, there's a big difference between assigning a book and having it on the shelf. And, you know, and sometimes I think some books aren't appropriate for school libraries. That's true. You'd necessarily, you wouldn't necessarily want to have a copy of The Joy of Sex in a junior high school Library. And I oh think my it's... god, no, that's what babysitting is for. You like, find the parents' copy of Joy of Sex, you find their pot, you find their chocolate, and you have a good evening after those All kids right. have gone to That's Judy McGuire, available for babysitting. <laughs> <laughs> Not hey, is, we should take we should a break take a, now. Take a break, and uh, we got some music. You know, um, the number one most challenged books always in the school library level are Harry Potter. Christians just don't like that wizarding shit. It's the devil. We're back on the Mike and Judy show. This is Mike Edison with Judy McGuire, the woman who's too hot for television, along with Melissa Petro and Stephanie Anderson. Once again, I'm surrounded by astonishingly brilliant and beautiful women. You're lucky. Luckiest, lucky guy. Luckiest guy in Bushwick today. Count on it. Um, Stephanie, we were just talking about during, during the break, uh, booksellers, as well as librarians, are really the heroes of banned book weeks. You're the guys who keep the books on the shelves and available so people can find them against uh, pressure often, right? Yeah, I think, it. I mean, in Brooklyn, we don't have as much of a problem with it, but there's definitely, um, uh, especially in the Midwest, I know there's been a couple laws that booksellers have fought back. There's an organization called the ABFFE, the American Booksellers Foundation for Freedom of Expression, that pretty much exists exclusively to be... Uh, free legal help for booksellers. And I've never encountered it in an East Coast bookstore, but I know that, there, you know, there's often uh, uh, legislators will try to pass laws that are, you know, children can't be in buildings with certain types of material or whatever, and they're often so overreaching and so broad that all bookstores would have to close in, uh, on the off chance that a six-year-old should walk in, and it's often like the ABFFE and uh, the American Library Association, too, who are who are challenging these laws in court. So you don't see as much of it coming to, like, somebody actually being arrested, although that did have that did used to happen more uh, right. earlier in the last century. But in this century, it's more uh, 
directly challenging the laws as soon as they're passed. And it's happened a number of times, even in the last 10 years. Well, this country does have a awful, sordid history of banning books. I mean, it hasn't really happened since the late 50s with Naked Lunch and Howl were the last real literary obscenity trials. People don't understand also that there are still obscenity trials going on in America. Mm-hmm. It usually involves hardcore pornography, but of such, you know, contemptuous... Yeah, it's hard to stick up for it's it. Like even, oh vile my, rape porn. Uh, oh, yeah, really bad to the point that even when I was working at Screw, we didn't stand behind these people. And Larry Flint didn't stand behind these people. Yeah, and let me tell you, if Screw, and, if Screw and Hustler aren't going to stand with you on a First Amendment issue, you were doing something pretty fucking awful. You're well, there's, there were also problems for a while with U.S. and Canadian booksellers because oh, the yeah. Canadian laws oh. are much stricter. Oh, my and in God. Yeah, we worked at High Times. Uh, you yeah. can't even send And especially like comics, comics with any sexual content, including a lot of comics well, that you can buy, like a 10-year-old could buy in the United States. If it has just this mild content, it'll get stopped. Well, the Canada. crazy thing is you can the 10-year-old can buy it in Canada, too. You just can't bring it across the border. Right. There's a Canadian... Uh, Customs laws, the rules, they're like the, the Queen's rules on censorship um, because even they don't have a First Amendment. Uh, Canada and the rules were crazy. We when we used to do porn magazines, Judy. If you recall the Canadian laws, um, huh, what? The, yeah, yeah, well, well, well. Over over at um, high society, over at high society, my pearl, yeah, <laughs> my pearl necklace. <laughs> um, we, I mean, some magazines will do two versions so they can afford it. We didn't do it. We just had to stay away. Anything suggesting S and M or male domination in a, in a sexual context was not allowed over the border, and that was very, very loosely interpreted. Mm-hmm. Interpreted. Um, I just did an interview with uh, an editor at Penthouse who says that the penthouses are getting confiscated in our jails because uh, they include homosexual contact, which is that will give men ideas well, about having sex that's, with each other when they've been locked up exactly. with only men for years. But what's interesting is that the... the that's the where con- they draw the line. The yeah. contact is girl on girl, which we can all kind of presume is more heterosexual... Fantasy fodder. Oriented. You know, it's, it's oriented towards a heterosexual man. So it's, it's interesting. It still exists in our country, even if it's not um, it, legislated. I mean, wait, girl-on-girl sex isn't legislated? I'm <laughs> <laughs> breaking my that's heart. The, that's the good kind of gay. <laughs> you know, the crazy thing is, too, um, if you go back historically, the ban on pornography, what people said, like, during the 50s, you know, when there was, like, you know, big... Uh, you know, la- the lavender scare, you know, gay hunting and, and queer bashing, uh, as well as this ban on pornography. The- they said pornography is going to turn our children into queers. And I never understood that, how pictures of naked girls were going to turn little boys in- into gay men. Well, now they're saying that the plastic in bottles will turn you bisexual and water bottles. So who the hell knows? Well, it's that homosexual agenda. It's the New York Times, mostly. I, I don't know why we're not all gay. <laughs> but I-, I worked in a bookstore, too, for many years in a used bookstore. Glenn Danzig was one of our customers, and um, <laughs> w- uh, the grossest part of my job was we would have we would have the back corner of the store was all cowboy books like Louis L'Amour, and then these gross porno books that were like you know probably the kind Mike Edison wrote like the incest books like fantasy yeah. disgusting bestiality grossness, and so these guys would go and they would buy a Louis L'Amour book, then they would have six porno books put the Louis L'Amour on top like we weren't going to see the ones underneath when we were checking them out then they would go home and do whatever with them and then they'd bring them back the next week resell them and we would have to go through them we would put on rubber gloves because they were so disgusting and like if they were stuck together we wouldn't buy them back but I, f- I find the most unsavory part of the story your criticism of these literary connoisseurs <laughs> I, I'll tell you what's being about pornography here's a very um, formidable story about I, it's true I did write a lot of pornographic novels 28 28 um, and we did write everything I wrote incest novels and S&M books and uh, transvestite books and a couple gay books everybody there wrote it was like the last of the pulps this was paperback fiction before the VHS became affordable 
incredible technology. But my real inspiration for this um, was a book I found on my mother's shelf that she had taken out from the public library. Um, Harold Harold Robbins and oh, yeah. was it was another one of those authors who wrote those big well Jackie Collins, Harold Robbins, and um, um, Jacqueline Suzanne. Yeah, well, one, one of these one of these people. And she, my mom read all those books. And I read everything that I found in the house, which is like So she around. turned you into a Well, I opened up one of these books, and, and there's this terrific sex scene, some captain of the universe, you know, mm-hmm. you know, magnet of industry, who was having sex with his Asian call girl, and he was putting cocaine on his penis before he you know, screwed her on his round revolving bed. And I, this just blew my mind. that my mo- Not the scene itself, that my mom was reading this, and that she and was walking around. touching herself while she read it. Idea that my mom would be walking around the house with this knowledge in her head of cocaine penis, <laughs> you know, and then like I'd have to sit down at dinner and like pretend nothing was going on. It was mind-boggling. But the, every book that I wrote, all twenty-eight of them, there's a scene with someone putting cocaine on their penis. <laughs> That's like my tag. If you ever like go, going through the ladies, oh, be warned. If you're gonna have sex with Mike Edison, I, I've never practiced this. I, I confess, of all the um, weird things I've done in my life, I've never put cocaine on my penis. But um, I can't knock until I've tried it. I suppose. Uh, what's going on today's New York Post? There's a story here about trying to quantify people's sexual pasts and making bizarre moral judgments. Yes, yeah, so one of our um, one of our past guests, Sheila McClear, and our good friend, our good friend, the adorable Sheila McClear, wrote a story on um, what is your wrong number, like the number of people you've slept with, like where where's the slut line? And I looked <laughs> I looked at their their number of ideal partners, and I am nobody's ideal partner, <laughs> even in a hundred year old. Uh, like if there were, if it went, if it kept going, I would still well, be. What, what are some of the hard numbers here, Judy? Okay, people eighteen to twenty-four. Women would prefer their partner only had five partners before them. Men. And what happens? I you guess know the... what? I don't really get this. Like, are men supposed to have slept with ten people and women only five? Or well, that's the New York Post for you because it's you know a, a women-hating, gay-hating, sex-hating, and especially bicycle-riding newspaper. Melissa, will you please <laughs> translate this for me? Let me see if I can. This would, belongs on a fourth-grade, um, you know, test. Someone go out and get me a fourth grader. <laughs> Jack, do you have a fourth grader out there, oh, Roberto? I can act pencil. as a fourth grader. I know you, there's there's a, there's bars and there's two lines. One's an X and one's the Y axis. <laughs> Like, I taught art, so I'm, 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 I'm as baffled as you are. Does it say there, this makes me really curious, does it say there what they mean by partner? Like, I feel like there have been a number of instances, just in my own pretty limited life, where I'm like, I don't know, would that count towards my number? What if it was a woman? Oh, like, right. you know, like, where where is, is the New York Post, like, defining this? Okay, there's, don't, there's, be, don't be going no, all Bill Clinton on this stuff. There's maybe. no finger bang pie chart here. Right, so, <laughs> like, it's, it's lacking a key. Bar, so, yeah, it seems like it's a very limited, a very limited uh, you don't even know what you're looking at. You don't I even think, know what uh, the number means. Knowing the Post, it is um, straight sex, missionary only. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> That's my guess. Hmm. Except in the case of Andrea Pizer, the woman who is always wrong. And if you've watched MTV, that probably counts as, as having a sexual partner. Yeah. The, the fear that she mongers. At, or at Melissa losing. Farley and her new, the study that was in Newsweek also d- defined uh, like something atrocious. Like 90% of all men have, have, in, have bought sex because they defined it so broadly yeah. that everyone's bought So if they bought, bought a sex. porno magazine, I think if you turned on CNN, you've probably bought sex. <laughs> or, or a lobster for a date. It's it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> men and women in our relationships, come on, date girl, shine some light on this. I mean, the whole thing is scary. And also, we were talking earlier, too, about um, Melissa's uh, most recent story for Exo Jane. Oh, enthusiastic uh, consent. 
I did. I wrote a piece. Um, well, I was assigned a piece to write about enthusiastic consent, which if you're unfamiliar, it's, it's generally it's, it's more theoretical than practical. It's this idea that um, a, a, if you are in trying, if you're if you're wanting to engage in any sort of sexual activity with someone, you will ask for and receive verbal consent prior to engaging in that activity. So I would say, Mike, can I touch your Yes, <laughs> your cocaine. Well, I, I would never. have to be. I would how, have to finish. How enthusiastic that. do I can need I to be? Can I touch your chest? Can I kiss you? You'd have to. Say yes. yes, that takes all the fun out of sex. Yes. Well, um, the the idea is that it takes the responsibility away from the potential victim, yes. so that and onto the potential perpetrator. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> And silence is not consent and, and, and nonverbal. Mm-hmm. 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 That's not consent. Uh. None of that. <laughs> no. You'd have to say yes explicitly. So it's practicality. It's, it's limited, right? But it's interesting to think about. And One thing that I really liked about your piece was your poor boyfriend. Oh, Does not, yes. I run into this problem, too. Maybe he doesn't care to be written about often. He's a private person, and I'm not. So that's become an issue at times. Um, We've talked about this on this show often, often, Judy. You've written very openly about your sexual past. You've written mm-hmm. a book that talks often about it. I've written books um, about my, my enthusiasm for sex and drugs I feel as well. Bad. I feel bad for the other person, sort of. I mean, I, believe me, I'm guilty of it, too. But uh, so, yeah, you just have to kind of... I like you blurred out his face. In the well, picture. I didn't do that. CBS did that. <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't like that at the time at all, that that picture became news which obviously it isn't, but to them it became so. Well, let me ask you, ladies. I'm not, I'm not so crass. I wouldn't ask you your number. It doesn't matter to me to quantify these things. But the question is, do you, and if some guy said to you, some Gene Simmons or Walt Frazier, which, by the way, if you do the math, these numbers are ludicrous. Some guy says he slept with 5,000 women. How the fuck do you do that? It's like a, two girls a day for 15 years without stopping. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't even compute. But is there some number where some guy said to you, oh, I've been with 900 women or 12,000 women, that you would sort of say, yeah, I don't need to be 12,001? Definitely 12,000. Yeah. Yeah, that would be... I think that's where I draw my line. <laughs> the universe. Well, I couldn't really talk. If I, I mean, I, I've couldn't, I couldn't begin to quantify the number of people I've slept with. But, you know, what's more interesting is there was a period in my life where that was true, but I could tell you exactly how many calories... I had eaten that. <laughs> um, you know, so numbers for women, I think this is a really complex issue and it's mm-hmm. very personal. And, and I think I would just be so curious that my any revulsion I might expect to feel, I'd just be like, really? <laughs> Did you write them all down? Like, I would, and yeah, I guess I would want to see some sort of know? like proof of testing or something. Like, I would think more <laughs> about that. But I, I don't think, I think. I think it is very possible that overlap between men I don't want to sleep with and men who have slept with 10,000 women has a very big overlap, but I'm not, it doesn't mean I'm going to rule out all of them just on the face of it. All yeah. right. I hope David Lee Roth is listening. Yeah. So uh, this has been the Mike and Judy Show. We're celebrating Band Book Week here with Melissa Petro. who's going to be a guest this week at the fourth annual Band Book Party at Housing Works uh, in Soho this Wednesday night, September 28th at 7 p.m. And with Stephanie Anderson of Word in Brooklyn. One and you of have an very, event coming up. Very favorite uh, bookstores. The day after, actually, we're having... Our, our regular literary karaoke is featuring banned books this month. So Thursday Excellent. the 29th at 7 p.m. at Word, uh, we encourage people to bring their favorite uh, short passage from a banned book to read out. That's fantastic. Please find us all on Facebook and on hey, the Mike, internet. I have, to, I have to clean up uh, Walt, Clay, Walt Clyde Frazier's name here. I think you were looking for Wilt Chamberlain. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Bad uh, sports fan. <laughs> you, know, I'm, I'm not, you know, anybody above seven feet tall, I get them confused. <laughs> <laughs> Thank um, you, Jack, our crack research team. <laughs> Dang. All right, Mike and Judy, we'll see you guys next week. Everybody have a happy band book week. Bye.
Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening. The Heritage Meat Shop has just opened in the Essex Street Market. Open from 9 to 7, Monday through Saturday, and 10 to 6 on Sundays, the Heritage Meat Shop supports independent family farms and animal welfare-approved and certified humane raising standards. Most importantly, they offer a wide variety of heritage breeds. So stop by, get a sandwich, try the charcuterie. The Heritage Meat Shop at the Essex Street Market.